Good morning. Welcome to Sunday School at Second Baptist Church. I'm glad you could be with me again today. Um, it's been a very hot week. I hope you were able to stay in the AC and be cool. Um, we are going to continue in our study of Job, the book of Job. And we got started with it last week in, in chapter 1. And then um, now the, the scripture that our book is focusing on is in chapter 14. So that's a big jump, isn't it, from chapter 1 to chapter 14. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of travel through those chapters just a little bit and summarize so that it's not just, it, we don't lose the, the flow of the book. And so, chapter 1, we finished all the way to the end last week. And at the end of that, you know, Job had lost all of these things. And then he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, or did he blame God? And so, starting in chapter 2 then, we uh, we see another scenario where Satan comes before um, God and along with the other angels and um, it's a similar dialogue where the Lord asked him where did you come from and he said roaming around the earth and then um, he, God says, you know, again, have you considered my servant Job, like we talked about last week? He still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, um, skin for skin, all that a man has he would give for his life, but put forth your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. So now Satan, you know, it wasn't enough. He did all these things to Job, killed his children, uh, you know, all his camels and everybody, you know, all of his animals got stolen and, and that sort of thing. And so now he says, you know, Job is, is still, though, you haven't touched him. And if you touch his physical body then he's going to begin to curse you and so um, God gives Satan permission to touch Job's body and to um, but not to kill him and so Satan goes out and what he does is he causes boils to come on Job from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet covered with boils and boils are awful i mean if you've ever seen one they're so gross but can you imagine one is bad enough but if you were covered from top to bottom um bottoms of your feet even with boils how painful that must be and also just disfiguring really you know to have so many and so Job then is sitting in the ashes, uh, you know, scraping himself and, and just in misery. 
And then his wife uh, comes, and instead of being an encouraging wife to, you know, what, pray for him, bring him something to eat, I don't know what, she says, uh, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, it's really unbelievable that she would say that, you know, just go ahead and die. You're, you're so bad off, you know. But, um, you know, she wasn't a very supportive spouse, was she? And so, then, Job's three friends hear about his illness, and they show up. And so, these three friends come, and they sit down on the ground for seven days and seven nights without speaking a word. You know, this is this is the the culture that they were in. You don't just burst in and begin to talk about the thing like that. You're going to sit there in silence for a little while. And of course, this was seven days. And begin to then talk. And so, Job then in chapter 3, now that's all of chapter 2. It had quite a bit in it. In chapter 3 then, Job begins to curse the day he was born. So he's not cursed God like his wife suggested, but he begins to speak to these three friends that have come, and he begins to curse the day he was born, and he wished he had never been born, and it would have been better uh, based on all that has happened if he had just never lived, and, and those kind of things. And, you know, he was, I'm sure he was in a little bit of a despair you know, not understanding why all of these things were happening. And so in chapter 4, the first friend speaks. His name is Eliphaz. And, you know, Eliphaz goes right along the line of the thinking of that culture. When he said, he begins to say, you must have done something wrong or all of this wouldn't be happening to you. That's basically what he says. And in verses, in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright destroyed? According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. So he's basically saying, you reap what you sow, you must have done something wrong. So he was he was not a very supportive friend either, was he, to say such things. You know, when we first went to Nigeria, in the first year of our being there, um, Clint severed his Achilles tendon and had to have surgery and be in a cast then for months afterwards. At the same time that that happened, Jessica, our daughter, fell off of a, a slide ladder, you know, on the playground and broke her arm very badly and had to be put to sleep and, you know, get that set. So she had a cast. And then after that, I, I was pregnant with our youngest son, James, and some dogs, uh, two big German shepherds, just freakishly ran into me and bowled me over and broke my leg and I had to be in a cast and so you know it was very much a situation where 
you might say we were under attack in a way, you know, um, you could you could call it that. And then we had a friend uh, who came and said, well, I hope whatever God is trying to teach you that you're learning it. And so I can kind of identify with Job, you know, that we had a difficult first year of being there. And then on top of that, this comment by this very unsupportive friend and so um i can i can see how uh, you know that came across from eliphaz uh and then we go on through to chapters six and seven where um job is answering back and and declaring his innocence and the fact that you know they've all said that he must have done something wrong but he's not he's not done something wrong he knows he hasn't done something wrong he's an innocent man and yet you know these things are happening god is punishing him or god's doing things to him he feels like okay and then in chapter eight his second friend bildad uh begins to speak and bildad is a little bit uh a little bit softer with his but he basically says you know if your sons sinned against him then he delivered them into the power of their transgression if you would seek God and implore the compassion of the Almighty if you are pure and upright surely now he would rouse himself for you and restore your righteous estate so he's implying that well maybe it was something that the children did that was so bad that uh, caused all of this and if you'll just implore God a little bit harder you know pray a little bit more maybe God will go ahead and and restore you uh, to your righteous estate he says and then Job comes back with a response to that and he says you know in chapter 9 if you read through that whole chapter you know it's kind of basically him saying God is going to do whatever God wants to do and I can't I'm not it's not like he's a man that I can debate with him about what he's chosen to do and so um, he says can anyone you know be justified before God and in verse 32 of chapter 9 he says for he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. So, you know, Job is, he's accepting that whatever God does, God has a reason for it. And there's not anything that Job can do to tell God he shouldn't be doing what he has chosen to do. And so still he's respecting God and he's not... Uh, gone into cursing God and then you know in chapter 10 he kind of despairs again and says you know why did you even let me be born why did why did I come out of the womb it would have been better in in why um why would not my few days that I have why couldn't he just let me live them you know 
And so he, he kind of despairs with that. His hope, you know, fades a little bit. And then in chapter 11, the third friend, Zophar, um, speaks. And he goes into, um, in verse 11, he, he's again saying, you had to have done something wrong. He says, um, for he knows false men, and he sees iniquity without investigating. So he's, you know, he's basically saying, you, you had to have done something wrong. Otherwise, this would not be happened. And then in 13, in verse 13, he says, If you would direct your heart right and spread out your hand to him, um, you know, then, then again, you would fix it. And so, you know, he, they all three then have followed that line that there has to have been a cause for this. And then um, in chapter 12, he, he rebukes them and Job speaks about the power of God and the attributes of God. He still speaks great things about God in chapter 12. And uh, he tells them in chapter 13 that their, you know, basically their advice has been useless to him. Um and he's sure that he will be vindicated. And so now we come to chapter 14. So that was quite a lot to put in there. And um, we'll try not to drag out on the, on the verses that we're going we're gonna to read. Let's go ahead and read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14. This is still Job speaking. Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. So he's talking about how uh, brief life is and how fragile it is. And the, that we're like a flower. You know, a flower blooms in the morning and it, by the end of the day it might be gone. Uh, or like a shadow that just passes over something. You know, you can't even grasp or touch a shadow. It's just a, um, it's just a thing that's there for a moment, and then it's gone, gone away. And then in um, verses 3 through 6, let's see what he says. You also open your eyes, speaking to God, you also open your eyes on him and bring him into judgment with yourself. Who can make the clean out of the unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. Turn your gaze from him that he may rest until he fulfills his day like a hired man. Now he compares himself to a servant or a hired man. You know that he serves God, and he's, he's just asking God now, just look away from me. You know, don't do anything else to me. And just let me live out my days. You've already numbered my days. The number of my months is with you, he says to God. So he, he knows that God is the one who has put our expiration date upon us. And he's just asking him, just look away from me. Just don't, you know, just don't do anything else. So he's, he's really kind of in despair, isn't he? 
And then um, in verses 7 to 12, again, Will you speak what is unjust for God and speak what is deceitful for him? Will you show partiality for him? Will you... I'm sorry, I've, I've gone off on the wrong... <laughs> I thought that doesn't sound quite like I thought it was going to be. Here we go. Verse 4, I mean chapter 14 verse 7, not chapter 13 verse 7. For there is hope for a tree when it is cut down that it will sprout again and its shoots will not fail. Though its roots grow old in the ground and its stump dies in the dry soil, at the scent of water it will flourish and put forth sprigs like a plant. But a man dies and lies prostrate Man expires, and where is he? As water evaporates from the sea, and a river becomes parched and dried up, so man lies down and does not rise, until the heavens are no longer. He will not awake or be aroused out of his sleep. You know, I think Job is speaking about a belief that many people had at that time, many Jewish people had, that once you died you were just gone that was the end of you and he sort of puts that in here but he you know he's saying even a tree if you cut it down it could sprout back from the roots you know but a man if you cut him down he's gone he's not coming back and so he is in despair now he he has um he thinks you know even in death but now let's see what he says in verse 13 or 14. Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, or the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath returns to you, that you would set a limit for me and remember me. If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. So, you know, he's asking God questions now. Can a man live again? Could he ever live again? Um, and throughout my struggle, I'm going to wait until my change comes. So he's beginning to speak a little bit about hope, that maybe there's a hope that beyond the, the death, that he probably sees as being imminent that there is a hope that he will continue to live or he will live again uh, somehow so you know we're in the throes of it I guess you might say with Job he's really he's really in despair and truly for us we have to remember when we have despair or when we have such difficult things happening to us physically or you know in our circumstance we have to remember that God is really our only hope and there was a there was a quote in here that said if a person we don't realize God is all we need until God is all we have and that you know you hear people talk about maybe an alcoholic who has to reach the bottom before they can begin to come up. You know, until everything is taken away from us, perhaps we can't fully realize that God is still there and that 
he still cares for us even though all of these other bad things may have happened and so we'll continue then to study through Job our verses next week are going to come out of chapter 19 I believe let me look and be sure yes chapter 19 so I'm going to do again next week what I did kind of did this week and summarize as we go in uh, to chapter 19 thank you for being with me as we study through this um, you know, and think about these things that Job can do thank you and I'll see you next week